So our scripture reading this morning comes from both Proverbs and Corinthians. And Jordan asked that we start with Proverbs today. So Proverbs 9, 1 through 18, an invitation of wisdom and of folly. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Tell all who are simple to come here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of the grave. And the second reading is from 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, 24. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than the man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And 30 and 31. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is your righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. It's good to see everyone. Let's, uh, let's begin by praying. Father, I pray that you would speak your word through me this morning, through your hypocritical servants, to your distracted people. May you be glorified in the proclamation of your word and of the raising up of your son. Amen. So quick show of hands, how many people have been to Times Square in New York City? Okay. Yeah, so a few of you, okay. It's an experience, right? Uh, I would say it's a sight to behold, but it's so much more immersive than just that. Like, you've got to really take it all in. You know, there's all the, the lights and the people, but there's the smells, pleasant or otherwise. There's, you know, the intangible things, right? There's sort of an energy to it that it's hard to describe. It's just busy, frenetic. Uh, and so, you know, there, there are the sounds, the typical city sounds, but also what's really cool to hear is just, all of the different languages being spoken at that time. Like, I mean, there are languages that you just have never 
even heard of before. You can't recognize it when you hear it. It's pretty cool. But there are also sounds that you can't hear. And it's that noise that actually might be the most deafening. Right? There are so many stores, even more advertisements. Uh, there's an ad almost everywhere. I read an article on LinkedIn that suggested there are about 900 ads in Times Square. Uh, just at any given point, you're reading one of those ads. And each one of those ads has a message that they're trying to give to you. Most of them realize that they're not selling you a product, but an idea, right? Uh, buy our lipstick, it'll help you stand out. This Jeep will give you freedom. They might sell you a message of acceptance, you know, hey, Baldy, you know, try our magic formula and maybe the girls will give you a second look, right? We, we look into these things. And there are so many more out there that we can't possibly cover them all. But take that noise that I'm describing then and transport yourself to our passage today in Proverbs 9. I think there's a city taking place here, uh, a walk down a city street. So let's begin by looking at verses 1 through 12 here. Uh, Proverbs is a wonderful book, right? And I, I know many of you likely enjoy reading it because it's practical, it's simple, uh, it, seems very relevant to our lives today. And I, I think it's also, though, a very theological book, albeit subtly so. This passage today is a great example of that. And so to set the stage, we've got two women being portrayed, right? We have Lady Wisdom and we have Lady Folly. And the author sets up a comparison here in chapter 9, but really all throughout chapters 1 through 9, um, just comparing and contrasting the two. Now, we all know what wisdom is in the world. We know some wise people, and we've frequently try to steer people away from what we would deem as unwise things. But in the Bible, there's a very specific definition of what wisdom is. Proverbs 1-7 first states it, uh, but it also shows up again in verse 10 in our passage today, uh, saying that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And uh, now that's a place to start, I think. For many people, they would disagree. They would not say that that's where wisdom starts. They would say, you know, there's all sorts of things that you can learn apart from God. But the Bible says that, uh, that that's really not the case, right? <clears throat> now, we might look at people, we see non-believers who are great parents, who may be uh, great with money, give great advice on relationships, right? And so what could God possibly have to do with that, right? And really what the objectors then are appealing to is just the sense that's like, uh, that you can learn things apart from God. But in reality, what they're really describing is just that God has common grace, right? There's, uh, it's that concept that the sun shines down on both the good and the wicked, right? We all benefit from God's blessing in the world. And so it's not really that you can't learn things apart from God. It's just that God has already given you the knowledge uh, to sort of to move on. Uh, and so then there's that other word, though, that people uh, get tripped up on, fear, right? We're supposed to fear the Lord? Why should we fear the Lord? Isn't he supposed to love us? Well, yes, he does, but we should also recognize just how infinitely more powerful God is than us. That reality should cause us to feel a certain level of humility. That humility is important in factual knowledge, right? Uh, as we think about just how the world came to be, um, you know, however God did it, it didn't just spring into existence. We have to humble ourselves and realize that there must have been a creator. Uh, everything flows from God. But it's also true in a more experiential sense, right? As Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And I'm going to jump a little bit out of order here. We'll note verses 7 through 9 of today's passage. Now read that again. The one who corrects a mocker 
will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and he will love you. Instruct the wise, and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and he will learn more. A mocker, right? This is not somebody who has mocked occasionally. Okay? This is not somebody who mocked one time. Okay? This is somebody who is characterized by it. Okay? Uh, it sounds a lot like myself as a teen, actually. Right? Uh, you know, if you ever try to get a teen with a bad attitude, looking at a few here, no, they all have good attitudes. Uh, but if you ever have a teen with a bad attitude and you're trying to get them to do something, you know how painful that can be. It's just, it's, it's impossible, right? And, and really, the more you try to get them to do the thing, the more they dig their heels in and the more they're, like, obstinately opposed to it. Okay? And, and these can be over dumb things. I remember as a teen, I don't know what it was. My mom would tell me to wear a coat. It was 10 degrees outside. It didn't matter. My mom told me, so therefore, I'm not going to wear my coat. And so I, thinking that I had somehow one-upped my mom, just went the whole day freezing, right? Uh, I, I, you can't explain it, right? But there are people who, they're just, they dig their heels in, stupidly so. And so scripture is warning us against these people, not rebellious teens, but those who are stuck, so stuck in their ways that they refuse to, to hear common sense, right? Uh, and, you know, it's... Uh, Gosh, uh, Forrest Gump, right? As stupid is, as stupid does, right? Now, that might be the person who lies on their taxes to try to get a bigger return, or, uh, and they see it only as a harmless way to help themselves. It might be the person who sabotages every relationship they've ever been in because they can only see the world from their perspective. These people are not beyond the reach of Christ. I want to be very clear on that. They're not beyond the reach of Christ. But... What scripture is saying here is that there is a necessary step in between God being able to help them and uh, before change can actually happen. And that is they really they need to humble themselves, which also the Lord will help them do. But, but before that, you really can't help these people. They have to humble themselves. They have to be willing to hear uh, what the Lord is saying. And so we see that we need that humility. Uh, we don't know as much as we think. I'm a huge baseball fan, uh, specifically a Detroit Tigers fan. And so yesterday was a big day for us as fans because Miguel Cabrera just got his 3,000th hit uh, of his career. Only 33 people, I think, have done that in Major League history. Uh, and so there have been a lot of articles coming out, you know, all celebrating this fact. And so they talk about, you know, uh, just who Miguel Cabrera is as a person and just kind of what his habits are. And I came across an article uh, they're talking about uh, a former teammate of his. Uh, Nick Castellanos is on the Phillies now, I think. And, you know, he was just reflecting on his time. And he said, you know, he came in as a rookie. You know, and here's Miguel Cabrera in his prime. And uh, Miguel Cabrera was trying to help him. He's like, hey, you know, here's, you're swinging it wrong. You know, you should correct it a little bit. And I'm telling you, you'll, you'll hit more homers. You'll, you'll have a higher batting average. And Nick Castellanos was like, I, I know what I'm doing, you know. Imagine that, right? I mean, this guy is a Hall of Famer, a guy who has just set all sorts of records offensively, and you're a rookie, and you're just like, no, I, I think I can figure this out. I'll, I'll be all right. Thanks. All right. We need to humble ourselves. And so by trusting God, the expert of all things, we are actually humbling ourselves enough to allow God to teach us. The attitude of the wise is one that contains a humble heart and is willing to learn more. Right? Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Yes, thank you for showing me the best way to do this. Right? The opposite of that, then, is one who is unwilling to learn. 
So let's, uh, that's sort of our basis for entering this passage. We need to humble ourselves to hear what the Lord is saying and receive it as truth. And let's look at, then at what Lady Wisdom is like. Verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. So she's built this house. She's done it with seven pillars. Uh, some may be interested in what those seven pillars are. The reality is we don't really know. Um, although if I were going to give it a guess, I would say there's got to be some connection between this and Isaiah 11, uh, where he talks about seven pillars, and they have a lot to do with wisdom. And so I think there's, uh, yeah, there's probably a connection there. The problem is, is that Isaiah was actually written after Proverbs, and so uh, it gets a little hairy there. But, uh, but the general point is simple enough, right? A house with seven pillars is sturdy. It's going to be pretty sturdy. If you've got a lot of pillars, it's not going to get knocked over easy, right? You can think of the New Testament parable of the house built on rock rather than sand to help drive this point home. She will not be easily toppled by the storms of life. She uh, is strong, knowing the contours of life, and is well prepared to navigate those. We also see in the next part that she is kind, verses 2 through 6. She's prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the highest points of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave inexperience behind, and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. What is Lady Wisdom doing here, and why? She's getting ready for a meal, some kind of banquet. Meat is being offered, and wine. So this is a pretty upscale feast. Meat didn't come by too easily back then. She sends out invites, but not really specific ones, right? She's not saying, okay, you know, Robbie, come to my party. She's sending it out to the inexperienced, the ones who lack sense. I would say that's probably a bad way to get people to come to an event of yours, right? If you just send them an envelope that says, hey, you know, if you're unwise, come to my house. We're going to have a party. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, right? Because showing up would be kind of an acknowledgement, right, of the fact that you're unwise, and yet again, we go back to that, the point that we have to be humble. And so we receive that invitation. What are we going to do with that? We have to humble ourselves. We have to be open to wisdom. And by being open to wisdom, we actually can fix the problem that we have of being unwise in the first place. But there's also a generosity here as well that cannot be missed. It is my belief that we see this banquet elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, both Matthew and Luke record a parable. Uh, probably have read it or heard it at some point, where he sets up a banquet for people to attend. He, uh, just like this, he sends out servants, and they go, and they invite these people. Um, and in that parable, they say, but I'm too busy, I can't come. Uh, and so he gets mad, but then he sends them out again, and he invites different people, okay? Basically poorer people, the least of these. Uh, and once they come in, there's still room, and so then he sends them out again to go get people to the farthest reaches of the city, Right? And the point of that is that God desires for all people to be saved and that he's going to have this feast one way or another. And whether you want to come or not is up to you. And of course, this feast is really a metaphor for salvation. Right? God is inviting the people to join with him. The invitation is a call to salvation. And so here in the Proverbs, they're called to leave behind their foolishness and their lack of sense. And they're called not to be wise, though, Right? They're not called to be wise, but they're called to be open to hearing wisdom, to pursue the way of understanding. There's no expectation that they immediately understand everything. 
right? They don't have to get themselves together before they come to the feast. They just come to the feast, and that's where they will learn. And so there's a clear indication of a process here that I think is important for us to notice. Some people get the sense that God saved them, but sort of from that point on, they better have their act together or else, right? Yeah, God, he caught me at my lowest point, but now, you know, he saved me, and now it's up to me to kind of maintain this, right? Uh, And that's really not the case. Upon salvation, right, the Holy Spirit, he regenerates the believer and begins making them more like Christ through what we call sanctification. But there is grace even after salvation. In fact, I would say especially so, right? Jesus is interceding on our behalf. And his mercy is more than our sins. And this actually allows us to live freely for God, right? Because we can seek out his will and not fear that somehow what we just did is going to undo the work of Christ. Christ isn't surprised by our sin. He's not surprised when we haven't gotten it all figured out. But he is there praying for us and extending grace to us, walking alongside us. The Holy Spirit is empowering us to be able to faithfully live for Jesus. So going back then to what Lady Wisdom offers, verse 10 through 12 say this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be many, and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for your own benefit. If you mock, you alone will bear the consequences. It is through Lady Wisdom that we live a full life. It is through our knowledge of God that leads us to a love of God, which in turn leads us to an abundant life from God. And interestingly, the passage says it is for our own benefit. Right? Too many of us think that, well, yeah, I'll do these things, but you know, we get the sense that we're sacrificing for God. And it's like, God's like, hey, dummy, this is for you. Like, you do these things, and you will prosper as a result. God isn't prospering just because we're faithfully following him. So we need to lower ourselves. And if we refuse to, then again, the passage says that's on us. Our generous God calls all sorts of people, people of every tongue, tribe, and nation, and of all sorts of personalities and quirks. He calls these people and offers them the fullest life imaginable. They need only be humble enough to hear him. And it matters not how unwise you were or how much of a simpleton you were before, you are invited to the feast. But now we look at Lady Wisdom, who serves as a sort of foil here. Uh, or sorry, Lady Folly, who is a a foil to Lady Wisdom. Meet Lady Folly, and boy, she knows her way around a good time. She's the life of the party. Or if we look at the end of the passage, maybe we should actually say that she's the death of the party, because the people that go to her parties don't get out alive. Proverbs continues, Folly is a rowdy woman. She is gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten secretly is tasty. But he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Our author is drawing a close comparison. Lady Folly is a lot of fun indeed, quite lively herself. And she's just as welcoming as Lady Wisdom. Right? She, too, is calling, from, uh, calling down from the top of the city. Anyone who is willing to listen is invited to her house, too. She also invites the simple and the one who lacks sense. However, she does not intend to wisen them up, but rather to butter them up for slaughter. 
There are many ways in which she can lure us in. But the reality is that she doesn't need to convince us. Right? Like those ads in Times Square. Okay? She kind of already knows what we want. She just provides it. And so our desires, when we're fools, lead us away from God, off of the path of life and into the house of death. We don't know what we actually want. And so when we don't know what we really want, we tend to live for the moment because we know what feels good. So I'll just take that, right? We end up living like Epicureans. That's a group of philosophers that said that pleasure is good and pain is bad. And so you should do anything to avoid pain and just seek pleasure because that is good and that is beautiful. And so if it feels good, it must be good. Well, the people in this illustration had a great time at Lady Folly's house. They just never got to leave. So note then that it is a changing of our desires that is needed. It is not merely choosing Lady Wisdom, but to want to choose her. How does that happen? I think the answer is already hinted at in our passage. Now, I will preface this by saying this is moderately controversial in evangelical circles, but I don't... I'm right, okay? Just, you're going to see the evidence, all right? Most people wouldn't put up too much of a fight, but you should know that there is debate on this. But hopefully I'm going to present so much evidence before you that you just have to agree. So, uh, And why? Why am I going to make this argument? It's not to win the argument that you didn't know was going on. Uh, it's, it's so that we can see just how great Jesus is. And I, again, I think this, the Bible, I talk of this often, but it is supernaturally unified. And so I think that we can actually see Jesus in this passage today, even though Jesus was not here yet. Uh, and so, uh, with that said, you may have noticed a number of similarities here between Lady Wisdom and Jesus. Right? I don't think that that's a coincidence. I don't think it's a mistake. Jesus is wisdom personified. If you read Proverbs 8, which is a detailed description of wisdom, you'll see it described in all sorts of ways that can also apply to Jesus. I have already mentioned the parable of the banquets, but who told that parable? That was Jesus, right? It's almost as though he wanted us and his hearers to catch what he was claiming. By then, after all, he had already equated himself to God himself. So, you know, if he's then also saying, I'm Lady Wisdom, I don't think they're going to say, whoa, hold on. You know, I could get on board with you being God, but Lady Wisdom, uh, you know, I don't know. That's too much. Uh, and think, too, for a moment, right? When Lady Wisdom, or why Lady Wisdom says to eat her bread and drink her wine to live, where have we heard that before? Right? Jesus says, I am the eternal bread. Eat of me, and you will live forever. John 6. There's also the bread and wine from the Last Supper, right? And now as we practice communion, it's everywhere, folks. Jesus' fingerprints are all over this chapter. He provides life and he steers us away from death, offering resurrection into eternal life. But why does that matter? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. Jesus can change our desires. That's the root concern, right? We need to change what we want. Jesus can do that. There are two paths presented here. One leads to life. One leads to death and destruction. When we go to folly, we experience that death. But when we come to the feast, even as dead men, we experience life again, and life fuller than we ever knew before. That experience illuminates the rest of life for us, because now we know. We have tasted and seen paradise, redemption, and love. Quick story, uh, Diane and I, I don't know how long we were married, maybe two, three years we're living out in California. We were in Sacramento, which is just a couple of hours from Reno. And we got this mailer that said, basically, uh, stay at our hotel. We'll give you lots of money. And you're going to 
basically pay nothing to stay there. It was like 40 bucks for two nights. And they were going to give us, I think it was like 70 bucks each night that we were there in sort of resort credit. Now, I'm sure they wanted us to gamble, but we didn't do that. We instead went to this really, really nice steakhouse. Uh, it was like very highly rated and everything. And it remains to this day, I think, the best steakhouse that I've ever been to. And every steak that I eat since that one, I'm like, man, I wish it were as good as this steak. But they're not. And so, like that, okay, Jesus is even better than that steakhouse, right? I think especially so because I tried looking it up and I couldn't find it. I think the restaurant closed, so I can't even recommend it anymore. But Jesus can change our desires so that we no longer look to folly for pleasure in our life because we've tasted the best thing that life has to offer. Nothing else compares. Everything else is just a shadow or, or really uh, just an, an embarrassment compared to what we have tasted in Jesus. So what do we do with all this? Well, I want us to note a few things. Go back to our opening illustration of being in Times Square. I think we need to recognize that all of life is Times Square, right? We are bombarded with invitations to hang out with Lady Folly every day. You, me, and the rest of the world. And we have all these options available to us. And sadly, it can be really hard to know what is real and what isn't. The voices call out telling you who you should be, what you should wear, what your worth is. They warn you not to waste time, to make as much money as possible, to assert your dominance over others through intellect. They'll tell you whatever you want to hear so that they can benefit. And we're just walking around in this, hearing all these voices. We cannot afford to be apathetic Christians. We cannot afford to be apathetic because we do not live in an apathetic world. They are active. And it can all seem dizzying, though, the sheer amount of voices. And yet, Jesus speaks over and above them all, inviting us. Come, all who are weary, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We must seek help. We need it. Humble yourself. You have no idea what you're doing, even if the results so far have been pretty all right. But we must also seek to help others. Once we've experienced the bread of eternal life, why wouldn't we share that with others? And I'm going to offer a test here, okay? How quick are you to recommend a show, movie, or album to a friend because you really enjoyed it. You just want them to know. Now, I recognize that, you know, I'm not trying to shame people because I recognize that sharing your faith and sharing, you know, a favorite movie with someone is very different. I would hope that your faith is more meaningful to you than some movie. But the question kind of stands, though, right? Like, if you're more excited to share, you know, something that you enjoy with someone more than you would uh, be about sharing Christ, why is that? Why is that? I mean, you know, take away the social awkwardness of the situation, right? If that's, the, if, if that's not the only reason that you're not enthusiastically sharing with other people, why is that? And if that is you, if you find that your desire is not there, that you don't see Jesus as all that beautiful, I would ask the Lord to work in you, to reveal to you once more what makes him so great. Additionally, adults, we saw several teens today, and there are many others in our church. How are you helping them? on the street? How are you helping them to avoid Lady Folly? Do you know our students? If not, get to know them. They're pretty great, but we could all use a guide in life, right? And someone who can pray for them, someone who makes themselves available to talk through something, a bad breakup or a, a crisis of faith, right? You might think, I'm too old, but the reality is, one, the younger generation, they actually love older people, isn't that right? Being old is viewed as kind of cool. They they envy you to some degree. They want your life. Uh, 
I promise. But number two, they, they need to see people from all over the age spectrum. You have all gone through life at their age, you know, so you know a thing or two. But teens, you would be wise to listen. But also, I'd say, you need to help the older generations, because they also need you. Us older folks, I know I'm not that old, but I still feel very old when I talk with you guys. Us older folks, okay, we forget a lot about the passion that we had for the world when we were younger. Your zeal is contagious. It reminds us that God is active and that we have a job to do. So make yourselves visible to all these adults here. Don't just duck out. In fact, I would love to see every adult here invite a younger person or a young family to lunch or dinner. I would love for our teens, actually, to go to an older person and invite them onto coffee or something. Start sharing stories. Get to know each other and encourage one another in the faith. We need to help each other, but we also need to share wisdom then with the world. One of the ways we do this, of course, is to be wisdom to the world. Lady Wisdom sent her servants. Jesus sent his disciples. We are called to the Times Square of our community to show them excellent living in all facets of our life. But remember that bit about humility. We close with our final passage from 1 Corinthians. I'm going to skip down to 30 and 31. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I know I've used this analogy before, but it's a favorite of mine. D.A. Carson said that we're all beggars, but we as Christians just happen to know where to find bread. We know where the eternal bread is, but we are not the eternal bread, nor did we make it. We are not somehow better than those in Lady Folly's house. The only difference is, is that we have accepted the invitation to go to Lady Wisdom's house. Christ has done everything for us, and he offered himself to us. He bled and died for our sins so that we might be with him again. We were under the floorboards of Lady Folly's house, but through his death and resurrection, we too can be raised up, even out of that house. And we are raised to life to work as servants who have been tasked with inviting people to the amazing feast that we just had. We should boast to our neighbors, but not in what we have done, but what Christ has done in each of us, making a fool wise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being just a caring God that cared enough to care for these unwise simpletons, that you cared enough to become wisdom for us, Father, I pray that we would experience Christ as our wisdom, that we would understand that Christ is not just um, somebody that we thank for the work that he did, but we, we recognize that his invitation is to a life that is so satisfying, that is fuller than anything we could ever experience outside of him. Father, I pray that we would experience that so that we then could also be wisdom to the world, that people would see the lives that we lead, that they would be intrigued by just how full our lives are. Lord, as we seek to do that, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us, that we would avoid Lady Folly's voice as we hear her constantly calling out to us. Lord, help us to turn down the invitation daily, but to instead turn our eyes to you and to carry on the straight streets 